0: Hi, I'm Channing, and
1: I'm Elise, and this is the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We focus on feminist interpretation of scriptures and follow the LDS Come Follow Me manual as a guide for study. We understand that scriptures can be a tricky endeavor for readers, but we also believe sacred texts contain really compelling examples of loving and liberating relationships with the divine, others, and ourselves. We hope you'll join us in exploring the problems and promises of sacred text with imagination, critique, and celebration to reveal what we feel is the loving and liberating heart of Scripture.
0: While Mormonism, with its iconic floral foyer couches, is our background, we follow our faith and our God on the path of spirituality over institution and connection over condemnation. We are fellow wanderers, weavers, and doubters. If you found yourself feeling too faithful for some and not enough for others, welcome. We've saved you a seat on the soft chairs.
1: Hi, everyone. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 21 through 23, Mark chapter 11, Luke chapters 19 and 20. And John chapter 12 for the dates May 15th through the 21st. This week's assigned reading covers many events in the time leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. Some of the major events are ones that we've actually covered during our, some of our Holy Week series episodes over the few years, and we've even com- covered some of these stories twice. We have two separate episodes celebrating Palm Sunday, which is the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem. We have two episodes covering Jesus' cleansing of the temple and also an episode discussing Mary's anointing of Jesus. We'll link each of these episodes in the show notes for your convenience, and because we have already covered three major aspects of this week's reading, it frees us up to dive more deeply into some of the other stories in the text because there is so much going on here. So, Yeah, all good in a good way. But in today's episode, we'll focus on stories of violence, the story of Zacchaeus, and issues of hypocrisy.
0: So just starting out, we're going to move into Mark chapter 11, and this is where we see the story of the fig tree, and we also see parables of violence. And just like last week's readings, um, all of these chapters, even though they're in different gospels, cover almost exactly the same events. So you'll get a little bit of change depending on which account you're reading, um, but they're pretty similar. So, after a day of travel, Jesus was tired and hungry, and while he was walking, he came across a fig tree, and when he arrived at the fig tree, he saw that it bore no fruit. The Mark 11 account makes sure to tell us that this is because, quote, the time of figs was not yet, end quote. So, that means, like, it wasn't in the season for figs to be on the tree yet. But Jesus decides to curse the fig tree, which then dried and withered from the roots up, completely destroying the tree. In the same breath, Jesus tells another parable of a vineyard owner who hires workers to tend to his vineyard while he was away. When the fruit was ready to process, the owner sends his servants to collect it. The workers that he hired previously kill the servants and then do it again when the owner sends more. Finally, the owner sends his son saying, quote, they will reverence my son, end quote, hopefully saying like, oh, well, they know that this is my son. They're not going to kill him. Everything is going to go fine. But instead, the workers, quote, said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize on his inheritance, end quote.
1: We recognize the violence in both of these stories seems really excessive, especially for a figure like Jesus, whom we are kind of accustomed to experiencing a certain kind of gentleness from him. A traditional interpretation of these parables highlights Jesus's prophetic foreshadowing around his own death. In the fig tree example, Jesus plays out a death that happens senselessly and prematurely. Why kill a tree for not producing fruit out of season? This really seems to highlight, for us at least, Jesus's desire to live, not die. We sense a lot of sadness in the story of the fig tree, like watching Jesus's grief spill over the careful containment that he's curated for so long. Jesus didn't just tell a story about a fig tree dying. He killed a tree outright. There is something bitter and sad about a premature death, whether a tree or a human. The story about the violent vineyard workers feels really similar, but also a bit different. Jesus moves from one metaphor to the next in quick succession, which tells us that these two stories seem to be linked. The story of the violent vineyard workers is given in public in the presence of chief priests and Pharisees who were deeply disturbed by what he was saying because they recognized themselves in his stories and they were not the good guys.
0: And one of the things that Elise and I really grappled with um, with the violence of these stories this week was like, what is going on? Like usually Jesus is like talking about like lilies and lambs and shepherding. And now we have these like really violent stories of people killing each other. And um, one of the themes that came out of the conversation that we had about this was that stories are reflections of the world that they are born from. The stories of Jesus' life and the stories that he tells are often beautiful and kind, but as we can see, can also be violent and deadly. This is because Jesus lives in a world that is often beautiful and kind, and and also violent and deadly. And still, the stories of Jesus are incredibly relevant today, because just like Jesus, we too live in a world that balances beauty and violence. Some, like Jesus, can see the writing on the wall and speak to that violence. Many in the crowd listen, marveling and wondering what all the fuss is about. And others still understand exactly what the issues are and want to quiet any critique by any means necessary. So some questions that we might ask as we're confronted by the stories in the text this week might include, how do modern day prophets, especially those on the margins, speak to the harm and violence in my community? Do I make an effort to understand and help? For example, Latter-day Les, our friend Kate Maurer made a really fantastic post earlier this week talking about modern-day prophets, trans prophets, um, including Martha P. Johnson and the ways that they really spoke out and really illuminated the issues that were coming from inside of their communities and how they were so involved in advocacy for safety, health, and community, and eventually died for their efforts to really bring a focus to that. And I think that we can see a lot of similarities between both Jesus and Martha P. Johnson. Another question we might ask is, how might the story of the cursed fig tree help me understand how grief shows up in others? And finally, How can I listen to stories of violence and honor them by ensuring that I do my part
1: to create a world that reflects safety, beauty, and kindness? I like those questions, especially I think having questions in this episode is really reflective of the chapters because lots of people in the text this week have tons of questions for Jesus. So it's a nice kind of parallel between what's happening in the text and what's happening on the episode. I think I'd like to move over to Luke chapter 19, the first nine verses. And this is a story of the chief tax collector in Jericho, whose name is Zacchaeus. He's employed by the Roman government and viewed as like a corrupt sinner. One day, Zacchaeus, it says that he's a small man. He climbs up (laughs) into a tall tree in order to see Jesus walk by. And Jesus sees him up in the tree and calls out to him saying, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And when Jesus saw the goodness of Zacchaeus' heart and the things he did for others, he accepted his offering, saying, This day is salvation come to this house, for he is also a son of Abraham. Now, according to some biblical scholars, Zacchaeus' story is meant to contrast with the story from last week about the rich young ruler who like, said that he kept all the commandments, but at the end of the day, he is not willing or cannot sell all of his possessions and give them to the poor. In contrast, Zacchaeus is seen by the people following Jesus as if Zacchaeus is a big sinner. When Jesus wants to dine with Zacchaeus, the people murmur and gossip saying things like, oh my gosh, is Jesus really going to have a dinner party with that guy? Like that sinner? And while both men, both the like young rich ruler and Zacchaeus, both men appear initially rich Zacchaeus actually tells Jesus, look, Lord, I'm not a bad guy. Like, yes, I work this awful job as a tax collector because I need to make a living. But I try my best to support my community, to care for the poor and to also redistribute my wealth. In biblical words, Zacchaeus really says, quote, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold.
0: Mm, It reminds me, I don't think you've seen this because I know you're not a Disney person, but there is a Disney movie... called Wreck-It Ralph. And in it, there's like all these like classic video game bad guys who are talking to each other. And they're in this like bad guy villain support group. And one of the things that they say to each other is like, just because you are a bad guy doesn't mean you are a bad guy.
1: (laughs) And I think that that really applies to the story of Zacchaeus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think I like that connection. I like that connection a lot. That's a really good, good touchstone for people.
0: Additionally, we really appreciate this verse's use of present, not future tense. Although this story is sometimes read as a repentance story where Jesus commands a sinful man to get rid of his riches and then Zacchaeus makes a promise to care for the poor and then is finally forgiven, we don't think that reading really holds up because Zacchaeus isn't making a promise or a commitment to care for the poor and redistribute his wealth after he encounters Jesus. Instead, this verse is in present tense. Zacchaeus already gives half of his possessions to the poor and pays back what he has defrauded. And I think Jesus knows this, which is why before he even speaks to Zacchaeus, Jesus is already inviting himself over for a dinner party as he yells to the treetops, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide at thy house. Like, I love that. Like, I must abide at your house. We have to hang out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love that line. And I think if we look ahead a little bit later in the text, I think that this story about Zacchaeus also acts as a really nice connection to Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 through 21, where the Pharisees ask Jesus if it's lawful to give Caesar or to pay tribute unto Caesar. And Jesus says, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the thing that the things that are God's. And in my mind, this is Jesus saying, look, if you don't pay Caesar, you're going to be put in prison or killed. And then you won't be able to make change in the world. Like you won't be able to work and like work toward justice. So yes, obviously pay Caesar, but never stop subverting, resisting and dismantling. And in my mind, this is exactly what Zacchaeus is doing. He recognizes that he can't completely cut himself off from the everyday systematic like BS of the world. But he also recognizes that we are both responsible and have agency for how we show up in the world and how we choose to resist or participate in the system. Thus, I think the story of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus offer us like two different ways to approach justice, specifically as it relates to wealth and systems. The story of the rich young ruler seems idealistic, right? Jesus says, Jesus says, sacrifice it all, give everything to the poor, separate yourself from the system completely and build local networks outside of corporate and governmental rule. And the story of Zacchaeus seems like a bit more of a realistic approach. Unfortunately, we live under capitalism and we work at really shitty jobs. But we still have agency and responsibility for how we show up in the world and how we fulfill the commandments of caring for the poor, the neighbor, the widow, and the stranger. And so I almost wish that we had that the Come Follow Me manual was arranged a little bit differently so that we could have looked closely at the story of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus in the same episode. But this is simply an invitation for you to do like a two in one episode listen today if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode.
0: Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Love that idea. The last thing that we wanted to cover for this week is the topic of hypocrisy. And we encounter this pretty strongly throughout uh, this week's readings. But in Matthew 23, we have a series of verses that start with, quote, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And this entire chapter is essentially a huge call out about hypocrisy. You're welcome, and we hope that you'll read the entire thing, but in essence, Jesus is saying how the writers of the law and the religious leaders only care about performing righteousness, but aren't actually committed to it in any way. Jesus compares such hypocrisy and performance to cleaning the outside of a cup and platter, but leaving the inside unclean, full of disgusting things like greed and extortion. He says that they, and probably us too by extension, appear beautiful on the outside like the white sepulchers, but on the inside are, quote, full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness, end quote. Jesus then takes it a step further and calls out the scribes and Pharisees for for saying how they say things like, quote, Oh, if we were alive during the days of our ancestors, we would never have participated in killing the prophets, end quote. And we can really imagine Jesus just, like, throwing his hands out, like, and just screaming in exasperation with his, like, arms just waving all over the place in verse 21. Like, are you serious? <laughs> Look at yourselves. Ye are the children of them which killed the prophets, end quote. Yeah.
1: This is, these are, like, scary. I found this, this week's readings to be really scary because Jesus is like not holding back anymore. And there is this big sense of urgency from both him and the people. The people are getting more and more confused or riled up and they're really suspicious of Jesus. And Jesus is becoming more and more like desperate and exasperated and worried because he has the sense, it seems to me, that his time is coming to the end. And I think we wanted to bring this section up about hypocrisy because I think it can be really tempting for us to read this chapter and think, oh, my gosh, wow, those, those guys over there are so awful. Thank goodness I'm not like that. Or how it's really easy for us to think, wow, if I lived, if I lived dur- during Jesus's time, I would have never called for his death. And we, especially as cis white people, do this all the time. We look back at major events from our place of judgment and knowing and say that we would have done things differently. And I think this chapter demands that we ask some really hard questions of ourselves to help rid us of our hypocrisy. We might ask something like, why is it important to me for others to see me as good and righteous? Does my performance align with my internal commitments and long-term actions? What social issue do I believe I would have been on the, quote, right side of history for? How does this past-focused judgment distance or limit me from seeing what issues and struggles are unfolding in the present moment today? What role did my family and past generations play in slavery, colonization, and abuse? And this question takes on a whole new layer if you come from generations of Mormons, too. So how do we try to distance ourselves from this reality around our ancestry and why? And finally, what am I doing to live up to my responsibility of reparation and repair, be it financial, social, or political, specifically toward Black, Indigenous, and people of color and the land?
0: These are really important questions to be asking, especially as it's really tempting, right? Like we always say on the podcast, to weaponize and not internalize the text. And this is a really great opportunity with these questions that Ely shared with us to really attempt to do that internalization and do that self-reflection around: Are my actions really in alignment with my, you know what I say I'm doing or what I think I'm doing? And spend some time realigning or readjusting as needed friends thank you so much for joining us for the episode this week we're so grateful to be able to spend this time with you and to be spending time in the text with you we look forward to talking to you again soon and until then bye
1: friends thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of the faithful feminist podcast we know your time and space is sacred and we're grateful to have spent ours with you If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you showed your support by sharing the podcast, leaving us a loving rating on iTunes, or connect with us on Instagram as The Faithful Feminists.
0: We're deeply grateful for your kindness and encouragement. We love you so, so much, and we hope to spend more time with you again soon. Bye, friends!